Hello, thank you for tuning in to our Empire Lecture Series podcast. We hope this podcast finds you well, whether you're driving to work, between cases, or adding some education to your workout. Remember that all of these lectures are also available on our website and YouTube channel. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars and subscribe. Happy listening. Good day. I'm talking about geotuberculosis. Today, a review. And there are no disclosures. And I'm going to talk about historical perspectives, epidemiology, predisposing factors, the spectrum of GU pathology, the diagnosis and treatment. Now, historically, it's been known as consumption, phthisis, and the white plague. It's referred to tuberculosis throughout history. Hippocrates described the characteristics of disease, fever, colorless urine, cough, thick sputum loss of thirst and appetite. He thought phthisis was hereditary in nature. Aristotle disagreed the disease was contagious. And if you look over the years from 1860 to present time, the mortality rate for 100,000 population due to TB uh, over a century and a half ago was quite high, but it began to drop even before the era of antibiotics. This is because of improved nutrition, sanitation, living conditions. Streptomycin came aboard in 1947, and actually earlier than 1950s had BCG vaccination. Now, historically, Frenchman Jean-Antoine Villemin demonstrated the disease was indeed contagious. He injected TB material for cadavers into laboratory rabbits, which became infected. But Heinrich Hermann Koch discovered the mycobacterium as the cause of TB. Calman Gouron in, in France in 1908-1921 developed a, a vaccine using the bovine strain. They used 230 serial passages, and today we have BCG. We as urologists know it as our immune modulator for superficial bladder cancer. And Waxman got the Nobel Prize, but he discovered streptomycin. There's some debate. There was a fellow who worked in his lab who said he, he deserved credit, but Waxman got the credit for it. Now, throughout history, TB is like the COVID of the past. Millions of people died from tuberculosis. But if you read history, you see famous people like Simon Bolivar, Anton Chekhov, Frederick Chopin, excuse me, Thomas Wolfe, and sorry, and Eleanor Roosevelt. I want you to note her birth, her date of death, 1962. This was at least 12 years after the discovery of streptomycin. She died in a very renowned New York hospital of tuberculous peritonitis. Her doctors, who were very eminent, did not think of it. In fact, if anything, they gave her steroids. So this is a situation where uh, they didn't think of TB, and that's an important lesson for us. TB does not recognize international borders. If you notice over the years, it goes up. HIV patients, negative, are, uh, still go up, but HIV has taken a major role in the epidemiology. It is worldwide in distribution. You see Africa, Russia, and for some reason, Greenland has had high incidence of TB. Don't ask me why. If you look at TB cases uh, in the United States from 2007 to 2019, it's gone down. But most significantly, the non-US born people have had it. If you look at uh, New York City from 1983 to 2018, 
It went up in the 90, early 90s. This was because of the HIV epidemic, but it has come down significantly to less than 600 cases a year. So you say, why, why bother with it? But it's still around, I'll show you why. In 2018, 10 million people fell ill with TB, uh, 5.7 million men, 3.0 million women. And in 2018, 1.5 million people died of TB, including 250,000 with HIV. It is considered one of the top causes of death and leading cause from a single infectious disease. Above HIV, we will see what COVID does to us today. So even the New York Times in March 27, 2018, noted that there are 9,093 new cases of TB in the United States in 2017. It's still around. Predisposing factors, HIV. Two-thirds of patients with urogenital TB had AIDS. Immunosuppression, chronic disease may lead to ra rapid progression of new infections or reinfection. Other contributing factors, malnutrition, crowded housing, poverty. Pa how you get it, patients with active TB are the source of uh, the infection. 90% of patients will get an early infection but it becomes an asymptomatic latent infection. The risk of active disease is approximately 5% and 18 months after initial exp exposure, then 5% for the remaining time. Unless, of course, you get HIV or become immunosuppressed. It is estimated 2 billion persons worldwide have latent infection are at risk for reactivation. Now, it can be transmitted sexually. Culture positive mycobacterium has been identified in the penis of a male and in his and his female partner. This is reported in the literature several times. This is a patient of mine several years ago. He was a homeless war veteran, no history, without prior history of TB or diabetes. We biopsied the lesion, and if you can note, we identified it with zeal neosin and stain. The man had no chest findings. His time test was positive. He responded to anti-tuberculosis therapy. I don't know whether he got this sexually. Urogenital TB is the second most frequent form of extrapulmonary tuberculosis. Two to 20% of the patients with GUTB get it from a hematogenous spread to the kidneys, prostate, and epididymis. It also has descending from the collecting system of the ureter bladder and urethra, and I'll give you demonstrations, and through the ejaculatory duct of the genital organs. Urogenital tuberculosis occurs primarily in males in the fourth and fifth decade. Sorry, go ahead on this. If you look at three different studies, 1974, just 102 patients, 60% of the patients, this is extra general, uh, this is extra pulmonary, 60% of the patient had kidney. Another study in France, 93% of the patients had um, kidney involvement. And in a Russian study, they have a lot of cases in, in Siberia. But if you go down the line, kidneys, bilaterals, unilateral, ureter, bladder, prostate, epididymis, seminal vesicles, and urethra. I have a good case to show you on that. How do you diagnose tuberculosis? Most important, awareness. Exposure, TB in the family, personal exposure. Environment, lower economic status, crowded housing, travel. Host factors, predisposing conditions, poor nutrition, diabetes mellitus, end-stage renal disease, HIV, immunosuppression, you see therapy for arthritis, psoriasis, prone to TB. Physical manifestations, fever, night sweats, cough, weight loss, weakness, lymphadenopathy, change in urinary bowel function, scrotal mass, prostate induration, and penile lesions. 
The PPD test, MANTU test, has been used as a tool for screening TB or for tuberculosis diagnosis. Induration at the site indicates previous exposure to TB. However, false negatives can occur in immune suppressed patients. HIV patients may not manifest the positive uh, PPD test. BCG vaccination can give you a positive test, so you don't know where you stand. Today, in 2020, the quantiferin gold test uses whole blood collected, incubates with peptides representing the TB antigen as a diagnostic test for latent tuberculosis. It is unaffected by BCG. It appears to be more specific of latent TB than the tine test or skin test. And the CDC recommends the use of TB IGRA instead of the tuberculin test, majority of testing population. Most important, you just need one blood test. If you have a non-compliant patient, you don't have to depend on them to come back for the time test reading. Other laboratory tests, sputum, the old-fashioned sputum smear microscopy, urine microscopy. They're culture-based methods, Lowenstein-Jensen medium. They're mycobacterium growth tubes. These take several weeks. Today, however, the urinary B PCR is the most sensitive indicator and positive in 94 29% of patients. Now, classically, we say, look at the chest x-ray, the cavity in the upper lobe, scarring in the other lobe. This is what we think to look at patients with TB genital. However, now the, granted, this is a CT scan. This CT is sort of benign, and a chest x-ray may not be positive on patients with renal TB. Example, the same patient, 38-year-old Mexican man, progressive nausea, vomiting, weight loss, 50 to 100 WBC, negative PPD, negative urine cultures, the quantiferin TB cultus, plus minus. A, he had renal failure, insufficiency, marked hydronephrosis. The renal biopsy was positive for granulomatous interstitial nephritis compatible with tuberculosis. And this is a man with a negative chest x-ray. The old-fashioned retrograde pyelograms, which some of us still do, show the ureteral uh, narrowing here, scarring. This is very classical of tuberculosis. Today, however, with new uh, CT imaging, uh, you can visualize a very nice collecting system reconstituted uh, CT. Here's a 76-year-old man, two-year history of mediastinal lymphadenopathy, unknown cause, fever and fatigue, pyuria. Initial urine cultures are negative. Urinary acid fasting, acid fasting in the urine, and here's his, notice a thickened ureter wall, a thickened bladder, th thickened changes in the collectors in the pelvis and in the urine. This. So uh, a CT reconstruction can help you make the diagnosis. And also CT studies are important. Here's a hydronephrotic kidney and you get a picture of the bladder cystogram shows changes here. Now, this is a common finding in urological practice. You go in the bladder, like hyperemia. But I want to point out that vesicle biopsy is only 18.5 and 52% sensitive. I want to tell you a little story. I had a patient some years ago, a, an executive who came with frequency urgency. He had sterile pyuria, microhematuria multiple urologists, multiple urine cultures, multiple antibiotics, and several bladder biopsies, inconclusive. Sat down with the patient, you get the story. Are you been a smoker? No. Do you work with chemicals? No. 
you travel. No, but during the war, I was a prisoner of war in Germany. Oh, really? What happened to you then? He says, I got pleurisy. I said, bingo. I don't have the cultures, but you had TB. I treated him, got him well. So you have to look at the total history of the patient. And here's prostate tuberculous imaging. TB can affect the prostate. A coronal image shows multiple low signal changes here, hyperintense changes here, and uh, signal intensity here. It can mimic uh, cancer of the prostate, as I'll show in a few minutes. And here's an example of a 65-year-old man had a PET CT for vertebral lesions suspected to be metastases for reasons I don't know. Hold on. They, he, his PSA was only slightly elevated, but they put him through the works. And uh, his bone scan was positive. And lo and behold, they did a biopsy of the prostate. It was TB. Here's another case of tuberculosis of the urethra. As you know, with TB of the urethra, you get a so-called watering pot perineum, where there are fistulas between the urethra and the perineum. And a biopsy of the urethra outside shows granulomatous lesions. So TB has a wide manifestation. Also, this shows you if you don't treat the patient, sequential exams, IVP, and then 10 months later, hydronephrosis. So no treatment, this disease will progress. And of course, voiding cystography showed with some reflux. And again, here's another case, no treatment in a bladder. And again, 10 months later, a contracted bladder. So the disease is there. It works slowly, but progressive scarring of the genital urinary system. And then endemic regions, infertility could be a sign of GUTB. Here's an evidence of a tuberculous scrotal abscess. And in a study of 187 men, this is from an endemic area in India, 21 to 30, uh, this age group, almost 30% had TB epididymitis and is a source of infertility. Here's an example of using imaging to, for epididymitis. You see MRI, the testicle, remove the test. Here's the epididymal mass and of course, granulomatous changes. So both sonography, MRI will evaluate your scrotum and endemic areas particularly. Even I've seen isolated cases of epididymal tuberculosis in patients who have come from different parts of the world, negative chest x-rays. And of course, there's an article in the Journal of Urology some years ago showing TB of the seminal vesicle. You see that calcification is a cause of azoospermia. So if you're working up a, a patient for fertility, get the total history. Where are they from? Where have they been? TB is still around. Now, what about in the female? 0.2% to 21% of men, again, this is in uh, areas of endemic, are infertile, with TB are infertile. It's obviously in the 20 to 40 age group, hemato from hematogenous spread from the lungs, lymphatic spread from the abdominal organs, sexual transmission, as I pointed out in the beginning of this talk. The fallopian tubes are affected 90 to 100%, uterine lesion of 50 to 70%, Ovarian tuberculosis is usually a sequel of, tubercul of tubal tuberculosis and tubal ovarian masses develop. Vulvar vaginal tuberculosis is rare. And here's an example, the hysterosampingogram. Notice irregularity. It doesn't spill in the perineal cavity. If you look close, there's some scarring here. And again, biopsy, endometrial biopsies will show changes, granulomatous changes. And even cultures of the menstrual blood 
and endometrial biopsies can be positive for tuberculosis. And here's an example of a tuberculoma of the left fallopian tube. Again, these are you know, areas not common in the United States, but with the migration, New York particularly is an international hub, be aware of these things. Now, what are the principles of TB treatment? A six to nine month course of multi-drug therapy can lead to cure in drugs susceptible to tuberculosis with less than five to 8% chance of relapse. If relapse occurs, it usually happens within 12 months after completion of therapy, indicating the disease was incompletely treated. Multi-drug chemotherapy is necessary to prevent the emergence of drug-resistant disease during TB treatment. Mycobacterium tuberculosis can be sequestered in compartments that are inaccessible to antibiotic action. You saw an example of the epididymis, their kidney problems. If it doesn't respond to treatment, then of course we resort to surgery. Now the drug of choice today, a rifampin, isoniazid, pyrazinamide, ethambudol, that's a fourth drug. Because relapse rates are 80% with one drug, 25% with two drugs, 10% with triple regimen. As I say, if you add a fourth drug, it adds a little insurance. Multidrug resistance is defined as resistance to at least isoniazid and rifampin. Extensive drug therapy is resistant to isoniazid and rifampin, at least three of the six main classes of secondary line drugs, ethanonamide, the quinolins, paraminosis, salicylic acids, streptomycin, amikacin, capriomycin. Now of interest, 5.3%. Of the 9 million new cases are multi-drug resistance. 9% of multi-drug resistance have extensive. In other words, uh, drug resistance is not uncommon. Other aspects to be considered is that for 16 to 49% of patients do not complete the regimen. Reasons for failure to complete adverse drug reactions, cost of treatment, stigma, Patients believe they're getting better. And of course, it's very important to have direct observation programs, be sure the patients are complying with drug medication. TB treatment and HIV. Caveats, patients with HIV should receive antiretroviral retroviral therapy. Patients receiving ART and TB treatment have high risk for immune reconstitution inflammatory syndromes, potential for interaction of many of the antiretroviral drugs and rapamycin is known. You have to use different drugs. There are newer drugs on the horizon that may treat resistant infection. Betaquinolin inhibits mycobacterial ATP. Linozolod and oxazolidone inhibits bacterial protein synthesis. And protomanad uh, inhibits mycolic acid biosynthesis. These are new drugs. Trials are ongoing. But if you have a resistant, a patient resistant to anti-TB, other drugs are becoming available. What about surgical management? Again, this is the patient should be on anti-TB treatment. The patient has persistent symptoms, pain, chills, fever, enlarging mass, progressive hydronephrosis, persistent progressive lower urinary tract symptom, and most important, recalcitrant TB bacilluria. We have all sorts of tools. Ureteral stent for obstruction, the nephrectomy, I'll show you a picture, polyureterostomy for strictures, ureteral neocystotomy for strictures, bladder augmentation, epididymal orchiectomy, urethral stricture management, 
biopsies of the bladder, and of course, prostate biopsies if you have an indurated prostate. This is a classical case of a hydronephrotic kidney, pretty well blown out, the kidney's out. But here's a case, what about the concept of autonephrectomy, where the kidney shrinks down, you just have some calcification, here's a small kidney, do you do anything about it? Here's a case of a 68-year-old woman, abdominal pain, renal tenderness, and showed an atrophic kidney and calcification. She had an nephrectomy, but there is controversy. There are controversial opinions. Will a two-year course of pharmacotherapy sterilize the end-stage kidney? In a study of 838 patients, GUTB, reactivation of the infection developed in only 53 or 6%. However, hypertensive patients with unilateral tuberculosis may benefit from the nephrectomy. The bottom line is if you have an autonephrectomy that is not symptomatic and the patient is not hypertensive, you can just watch the patient. And of course, there's this concept of the putty kidney. 30-year-old woman, one-year history, left flank pain, hypertension, and uh, if you look, non-functioning kidney, it's us filled with like a putty mass. In this case, they couldn't quite identify a granuloma, but putty kidney is considered a tuberculosis kidney, and if symptomatic, take it out. Surgical management. There has been an analysis of retroperitoneal laparoscopic TB nephrectomy with open TB nephrectomy. There has been no difference in surgical results and outcome. These are the kind of cases can be done. Those of you who are roboteers, you can do this case with a robot. The patient will do well. Surgical management, ileocystoplasty, a patient with a contracted bladder. You do an ileocystoplasty. This is a robot, and you have reconstitute a nice bladder volume. These patients have had, however, problems avoiding. They sometimes need CIC because, but at least they're able to hold urine. I've seen these patients with contracted bladder. They are truly urinary cripples. And there have been reports. Now, this is with BCG, which is similar to TB, and I'll mention that in a moment. Low bladder capacity and irritative symptoms, and they had just a small number of patients, but they found with hydrodistension, they're able to expand the bladder. Again, this is a BCG bladder. I'll mention BCG can mimic tuberculosis in many ways. I won't go into it. It's a subject in itself, but I'll give you a reference at the end. Vaccines. The BCG vaccine has an overall efficacy of 50% prevention of TB. However, it can cause fatal disseminated infection in immunosuppressed patients. Most significantly, either by intravesical or, or by parenteral use, I've seen both early and late manifestations of GU tuberculosis infections. It can occur early within a few weeks or even months or years later. There are, however, now new vaccines that are entering clinical trials. Now, to sum up, in 2020, TB is still here. The genital urinary system can be infected in greater than 20% of the patients without pulmonary changes. I've seen a number of cases, patients come in, epididymitis, renal TB, lungs are clear. The diagnosis may be difficult. You have to be aware, included in the differential diagnosis, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. Treatment is pharmacotherapy, urological intervention, endoscopic or surgical. I've had, we've had some publications, the adverse effects of uh, intravesical BCG, and the AUA update, and finally, uh, a few years ago, I had an article in AUA update, GU tuberculosis 
and contemporary times era of the immunocompromised patient. Thank you very much.